Hello, listeners, and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B., and with me is Jacob. Hi. And today, we're going to be talking about games that you can play with minimal preparation. They don't require a lot of components. They don't require a lot of setup. They're just games that you can play if you're sitting there on Christmas Day with your family, and all of a sudden, we don't have any games to play. But first, before we get into those, we, of course, are going to talk about what we've been playing. So, we actually just finished a game that has been pretty hyped recently. The game is Photosynthesis. Yep. And it's interesting. So, I think one of the biggest things that makes it stand out is literally, well, the trees. Yeah. Yeah, each tree is, you know, sort of a a cardboard cutout that it stands up upright. It's sort of two pieces of cardboard with a slot in the middle put at 90 degree angles. And it's it's very three-dimensional. Each player controls a different type of tree so they're colorful they're very pretty it's it's well designed certainly yeah it's really well designed and then it has just a very interesting gameplay mechanics with the sun going around and so it's not like you're playing the map in a static place it's like the good parts of the map almost change every turn yeah and so you have to adapt and that that i think was the most interesting part of it because you know you could have three rounds that you're doing really really well at and then when you get to turns four five and six you're just getting blocked for sunlight because this is a game that you can very very easily mess with your opponents yeah totally you are trying to collect as much sunlight as possible but if there is a larger tree in front of you between you and the sun well you're not getting that sunlight so your own trees can block you. Your opponent's trees can block you. And we only played it with two players this time. Mm-hmm. But with even more players, like three, four players, that could get very crowded very quickly. Yeah. The board is a hexagon with a radius of three spaces. And each player has, at any given time, I would say we had between maybe three and five trees on the field Um, so you know if you sort of scale that up if you've got four players in the game you're really fighting for space and it's it's a really good example i think of game design reflecting theme Um, because the the sort of feel of the game what they're going for is this crowded forest canopy and sort of survival of the fittest these trees are competing for light and that's you really feel that like it's a very tense competition you're thinking strategically in ways that the trees themselves probably aren't I mean, I don't know, maybe it's uh, the happening, but you've really got to think about, okay, what am I planting where and in what scenarios am I going to end up blocking myself? How do I think four, six, eight turns in advance about where I want to be, where I expect my opponents to be? It definitely rewards strategic thinking. It is, for that exact reason, a little brain burny. For sure. This is a game where because of the fact that you are thinking so far ahead and you're just trying to figure out what is the best placement, what do I have to do not to get blocked or to block someone else, it can be very, very thought intensive. You're just sitting there like, all right, if I go here and here and I only have this much to spend, but then like, you know, if he blocks me here next round, then I'm going to have less to spend. Or if I block him, then he's going to have less to spend. He won't be able to do this. And if you let yourself get into that hole, you can get really deep into that hole yeah but the game itself is decently short you only get i think in a two or three player game you get three revolutions of the sun around the board so technically that's 
what, 18 turns? Yeah. And your turns go really quick. Yeah. Each turn is divided into two phases. Phase one is literally just figuring out how many light points you get, which everybody can do simultaneously. It's over in about 15 seconds. Yeah. And then after that, it's just the game sort of slows down because as we mentioned, you know, you have to spend a lot of time thinking about where you're going to place your trees and what you're going to do with them. But even then, turns go by very, very quickly. I think our game took a grand total probably of 45 minutes, you think? Something along those lines. 45 minutes, and that includes the fact that we were learning as we went. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's a very quick game, so you're not really getting into that trap all too much because of the speed of the game. But at the same time, you have a lot less time to do like execute your grand strategy. Though, the cool part about it is also that nothing there is permanent. As you grow your trees up, you start with the seed, then go to a seedling, then a you know medium tree, and then a large tree. And then the last thing, and the way that you get points, is by taking those large trees off the board. And so that is a whole consideration, uh, which I screwed up myself, because when you take those trees off, you're losing the income from them, but you're gaining the points. Yeah, it's definitely something where you have to strike a balance between continuing to generate money and sort of realizing, okay, maybe I'm getting blocked too much. Maybe the utility of this tree isn't as good as it was. I'm going to take it off the field and score points. Or maybe I just want to grab that 19-point token before anyone else does, and then that's another incentive to grab it. Right, which is another thing very similar to Lanterns. The different scoring tiles decrease steadily as you go down the the stack so yeah. well um, sort of steadily sometimes sort of, some of, I, the, some of they, them are sporadic progressively sometimes progressively, it's yeah. sometimes they don't decrease at all sometimes they decrease by two instead of one but the general trend is strongly downward yeah and so it is it is very difficult to strike i think the right balance between income and and capacity building and just getting points on the board early yeah at the point when they're most impactful one of the other things that I think is really interesting about the game is that when you, for example, when you grow a small tree to a medium tree or a medium tree mm-hmm. to a large tree and so on, the tree that comes off the board, so the small tree, has to go back to your player board. It doesn't go back to your area that you are av- you have available to put things back onto the main board. It has to go back to your personal player board, and if you don't have space on that board, then it's removed from the game permanently. Yeah, And so what you have is this shift where in the early game, you're wanting to make sure that you free up that space before you grow, because if you don't free up that space, then you're going to lose permanent access to the cheaper versions of each tree, because the the more you have out at a time, the more expensive they are. Though I am very curious because, for example, you can never dip below four of the small trees. Right. And you can never dip below, I think it's also four seeds. And, you know, there are only four medium trees and three of them are on the board. So you could go down to three and there are only two large trees. So I'm very curious to see whether or not that is actually something that matters that much. Because even in a two-player game, and you'd expect a two-player game to have the most trees. We never got down to one or two of the small trees or the seeds on our player board. Right. Um, so I'm curious whether or not that's actually a consideration that is just in there for the psychology of it or, or if it's in there for actual like, you know, consideration, because now thinking back on it, I probably could have done fine with only those four 
small trees and seeds. Right. And well, that's what I was going to say is that sort of the longer the game progresses, the less you really have to care about that sort of thing because you're not worried about ramping up. You're just worried about the end game and getting to large trees so that you can score them because the game happens so fast, you know, three revolutions of the sun there's there's definitely in my mind at least there was a click over point yeah where i started realizing okay i don't have to worry about getting other stuff out off of my board to free up space for stuff that comes off the main board i can just toss that out of the game because it doesn't matter i'm never going to have a tree of that tier again so or, it's, it's or even if you did have another tree of that tier you had enough on your board right absolutely so it's it's interesting you're right though i think that a a two-player game would normally be the scenario in which you would see the most sort of trees per player on the board and yet it wasn't really an issue for us so maybe it is just the psychological aspect maybe it is just sort of a a disincentive for players to blitz down all of their trees right away though again this is our first time ever playing so we could have just played it totally wrong so either way i thought that it was a very interesting game i'm looking forward to trying it out with a few more players because i think that that kind of chaos would be interesting to see at least same but yeah i'm definitely looking forward to bringing it back to table again yeah i think it'll be a good one to play so photosynthesis is the only game that you've been playing lately yep. but i have had a chance to play a few other games i absolutely demolished a game of terraforming mars yeah you placed what was it seven forests and a city in one round uh, in one generation was, i think it was eight Eight force and the city in one Um, generation. Yeah, so I was playing as Teractor, the sort of Earth-focused, corporate-era-only corporation, which starts with a ton of money and pays less money for Earth cards. And I would say money was really at the heart of my strategy. My income was enormous, and on the turn where I did finally sort of blow up and put all those forests into play, I think I started that turn with something like 140 mega credits in my reserve. Mm. And I was just like, well, this is probably going to be the last turn of the game. So making it rain. (sighs) Literally, because, you know, forests and ecosystems. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so it was a lot of fun. We did play on one of the new maps. We played Hellas, the South Pole. And, you know, it it was good to sort of get away from the usual parameters and the usual awards and that sort of thing so but played that and then also had a, a D session the campaign that i've mentioned a couple times that i'm running for a co-worker and some friends and it was a lot of fun it was completely non-combat it was all social interaction the players were being presented before sort of an assemblage of notable people from the town that they're in and they received uh, what i call the commissioned adventurer status So they were each given little badges, and they have access to some of the resources and some of the information that is available to representatives of the city proper. But the responsibilities that come with this great power are basically that they can't act completely with impunity, and they have to act sort of in the best interest of the city. So hopefully it'll be a good opportunity to present them with some interesting plots, interesting developments down the road, and maybe introduce some sort of larger scale city-wide enemies yeah. down the line. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll have some good sessions again in the future. I'll be able to bring you some updates. And, uh, yeah, that is what we've been playing lately. Have you ever been at a friend's place, something like that, when you're home for the holidays, and you want to play something, but, well, you didn't bring any of your games? Ugh, major faux pas. 
we're here to help because today we're going to talk about all the games that you could play with pretty much the things that you have scattered around your house, your friend's house, things like that. So let's start with some of the obvious ones. First off, if you have some dice, you know, you could play some Yahtzee, you could play other kinds of combinations of that kind of dice rolling games that you know, you're trying to collect sets, you're trying to get points, things like that. Pretty fun, standard. Classic. Been around for generations. If you have a, the standard deck of cards, you can also play the standard kinds of card games. Rummy, poker, blackjack, war, you know, all these kinds of games. As long as you have the cards, you can play them. There's a lot to go there. But I know what you're thinking now. That's not the kind of games that you really enjoy. I mean, we here at Dragon's Demise have a giant wall of board games that prevent us from having to ever play those kinds of games. For the most part. For the most part. So what we wanted to talk to you guys about is some other really cool games that you can use the components like the dice and, and the cards, but take them a, a step further. Make them a little bit more akin to the games that you would have on your board game shelf back home. So first off, let's start with the social deduction games. The first one that comes to mind is Mafia or Werewolf. Now this is the same thing, just with two different skins. You could just play this really easily with just a deck of cards. So you have a deck of cards, all of the black cards, for example, are the villagers, or all of the numbered black cards are villagers. You choose a few face cards, so like the jack could be the policeman, for example. Mm -hmm. The queen could be the nurse or the healer or whoever that is that saves one of the villagers each round. And then the red cards that are mixed in there are the werewolves, the gangsters, whichever one you choose. Werewolf gangsters, as the case may be. And the game itself, you usually need to have someone in the center who is the narrator that runs the game. This isn't really like one night which has the app or anything like that. Instead, you have one person in the center who narrates, says, you know, okay, everyone go to sleep. Werewolves wake up, point to the people who are going to kill. And then they go back to sleep. The policeman wakes up, tries to see if one of the, the people that he thinks is the werewolf is the werewolf. At first, it's randomly guessing. And then you have the nurse who wakes up and chooses someone that they want to save. Yep. And, and there you go. Uh, and it continues on until either all the werewolves are dead or all the villagers are dead. Yeah. And it's I'm pretty straightforward. You know, the werewolf formula really builds on this. It introduces lots of special roles. But, you know, if you've just got a group of seven people, you don't have any boxes of werewolf, you don't have the app. You just want to play some some good old classic minimalist mafia. Yeah, that's you get a policeman, you get a healer, and you get some mafiosos and you go to town. And that's really all there is to it. Exactly. And uh, the rules are very easy to find online. And you really only need not even a full deck of cards. So you could use either deck of cards. You could even use like note cards that have something written on them. However you want to do it. It's really easy to set up, and you need very, very little overhead in order to play it. The one thing that I will say is that you don't want to play this with four people. Right. Yeah, my small nuclear family, four people, we're not going to have very much fun playing any sort of social deduction game. Mafia, Secret Hitler is another great one. This Secret Hitler obviously requires a little bit more preparation. There's a little bit more involved. You have to sort of either print out or write out the policies you have to print or write out the secret powers but for the most part same basic principles you've got people who are good aligned you've got people who are bad aligned but the moral of the story being social deduction games generally are going to be best with 
I would say, you know, six plus players. Yeah, for sure. And so if you have a larger family gathering or anything like that and you want to get into a game, I think social deduction games usually are a pretty good thing, especially since most houses have a deck of cards somewhere hidden away, you know, in, in a drawer that you haven't opened in 20 years. Right. And even if you don't, as we mentioned, totally acceptable to play with slips of paper that you've just written stuff on. Yep, there we go. So that's like the first level of, uh, I think, our recommendation. The next type of game that is also pretty easy to recreate at home with whatever you have lying around is the type of guessing game. So these are games that include something like Telestrations or... Fax Machine, yeah. Yep. So there's a couple of different variations and a couple of different flavors. The This one, Fax Machine, so-called because it's the old school game from elementary school, Telephone, that just happens to use illustrations. You basically get some sheets of paper and everybody has a number of sheets of paper equal to the number of players in the circle. And they start out by writing something on the first sheet of paper. They pass that thing to their right, and whoever receives what is written has to draw that thing. They pass their drawing, whoever receives the drawing has to write what they think the drawing is. And so you alternate back and forth, back and forth, until finally it gets back to the original person who sees what is either written or drawn there, and frankly wonders to themselves what the hell happened to get from a taxi cab to an elephant. Or Godzilla or something. Or Godzilla, like exactly. It, it really gets quite far afield. And there's a bunch of different variations of this. You know, there is an official box version that you can buy that sort of gives you the prompts. I personally enjoy coming up with my own prompts. A lot of times it's you can go completely wide open or you can say a theme. So for a holiday, you know, a Christmas gathering, you might say, okay, everybody write the name of a Christmas song. And then it'll have to be passed those along. You could write... Probably not countries, because then it would just turn into who can draw the best border of each country. But, you know, you get the idea. You follow certain topics. You have certain themes and helps guide yeah. people's guide people's guesses. But then again, people could just say, you know what? Screw it. I think this looks like a taco, even though it's supposed to be, I don't know, Poland or something. <laughs> you know, easy mistake to make. Yeah. Oh, always making that mistake. But yeah, so yeah. Telestrations is definitely one sort of guessing game. There's other more sort of word-based guessing games contact mm -hmm. is one that we heard about recently basically one person thinks of a word mm -hmm. tells the assembled guessers what letter that word starts with and then the guessers try to come up with a word that starts with that letter that fits a description any description so in the example the clue teller has thought of the word apple so they say this starts with the letter a and one of the guessers has thought of I don't know, apotheosis or some other ridiculous word that starts with A. So they say, this is what happens when you ascend to godhood. And then one of two things happens. If the person who has the clues guesses the word correctly, things continue on as normal. If one of the other guessers guesses the guesser's word correctly, apotheosis yeah. in this case, then they get to say contact and they force the clue giver to give them the next letter. So it's essentially you're just trying to throw out completely ridiculous things, not even plan. you know, you can't guess Apple just from A. You wouldn't yeah. even try. So you just kind of go around and around and try to beat the clue giver until you get enough letters to really hone in on what the actual word is. So it sounds like it could be some fun coming up with 
you know, goofy ass words that you don't think the clue giver will get, you know, ridiculous. But, but you hope that the other people will get. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I uh, kind of got to thread that thread that needle. But so that that one sounds like a lot of fun. And then, you know, something like Wits and Wagers, sort of a trivia game, kind of prices right rules over under yeah. type of thing. There's lots of, of guessing games that are really easy to just play with sheets of paper and a couple of pens. And again, they work really well in large groups, but they also, thankfully, scale down a little bit better. You know, you could play contact with four people. Yeah, exactly. So those are like the, I think, more traditional, like short-term kind of games that we would recommend that uh, you can play with very, very few components. You know, just some pens and paper, dice, cards, whatever you have lying around the house. But we have, I think, a personal favorite category of games that need very few components. Yep. And that is storytelling games. Absolutely. So as you've probably figured out, we're both pretty big fans of RPGs and, and the like. And so some of these storytelling games almost have a similar feel to that. One of them, which I've gotten a chance to play just one session of, is Lasers and Feelings. Which is just a glorious name for a thing. Let me just jump in with that right now. Yeah, and it, it's a hilarious sci-fi-based little RPG. Is one page that you can just download from their site, and you can just use that, and you have one stat. And the stat is just whether or not you're more towards the lasers or the feelings. <laughs> um, I feel like this is turning into a summary of, like, Star Trek. It Almost, pretty much, because, like, I think that this is what the game was based on. It was probably based on Star Trek. Right. You know, if you are, I think that like the lower numbers is you're closer to the the lasers, and the the higher numbers you're closer to the feelings, or could be vice versa. Something I'm not like 100% that. Hundred percent sure. And what it is, you just need one die because if you want to do any kind of skill check, anything like that, that has to do with technology, you have to roll. I think above that number that you chose. If you want to do anything to do with feelings, then you have to roll below that number that you chose. So, you know, someone with a three would then, you know, be pretty mediocre at both. But, you know, someone with a one would be really good at engineering, but really bad at feelings. Literally impossible to succeed unless it's, you know, less than or equal to. Exactly. And in general, like the, even the one sheet RPG, it's just like, you know, you, you as a GM, the person running it, you can just like roll things like, Okay, so uh, who is it? Like, you know, an alien, a robot, something like that. Who's the antagonist? What are they trying to steal or what are they trying to do? And, like, why are they trying to do it? Boom, boom, boom. Three rolls, you have a story. And and that's it. You just go ahead and play through, try to, like, tell this story together, see whether or not you succeed, and hilarity ensues pretty much. Right. Yeah, and it, it really just this whole idea, this concept of a one-page RPG it's just so fantastic, I think, because you're really taking the fundamentals of what an RPG is. It's an opportunity to, you know, play a fictional character through a fictional story and, and just stripping it down to its barest expression. You know, D&D &D is the most well-known or the, the best-selling RPG of all time or whatever it is that they use in their marketing. But really, something like Lasers and Feelings gets at the core of what the RPG experience is. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. And I I think it would be a blast to play. Yeah, I think that this is just something that you can pull out as long as you have even just a phone. Like you can just play this game. All you need is something, a six-sided randomizer, whether it's on your phone or an actual die, and the PDF. And yeah. maybe a few pieces of paper to 
note uh, what your one stat is. Yeah. Similar, quick, almost you could describe it as a one-page RPG, but that's competitive, which is unusual for this sort of thing, is called Everyone is John. Yeah, um, this, is, this is one that I've, I think I may have mentioned on the podcast before because I play this decently often when I go home. Yeah? Yeah. I, I really enjoy it because it, it's just really hilarious what comes out of this. Because you're controlling a person who has multiple personalities. Right. Each of them dueling to co- get to the surface and control the person. Mm-hmm. And you each have secret goals. So you have a few easy goals and a few hard goals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they could be anything. Like Unless the, the person running the game gives you some guidance... Literally, like I think some of my players had something like, you know, kill someone or right. drive a train or think fly a plane. Of, I think one of my hard goals at one point had to do with unicorns. There we go. And, and it's just, you know, because it's like this, and you can pretty much just take the world wherever you want it. And the GM's role is pretty much just telling you a little bit about the setting as you go in. Saying, like, this is what you see. Like, what are you looking for? Do you see it? Do you not? What do you actually see? And also determining whether or not something needs a role to succeed. So, like, sometimes you would think that driving does need a role. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it might not. It depends on the GM, and it depends on, you know, the players. And, like, you know, you choose your skills so that you could get a uh, plus in those kinds of situations. Yeah. And basically the mechanic at the core of the game is that whoever is in control of John gets to determine where John goes and what John does. Obviously, what they're going to try to be doing is making John do their goals. Yeah. Each time a roll is called for, they have to roll a die. If they can reasonably relate it, if they can justify it to the GM, how it's related to one of the two skills that they wrote down at the beginning of the game, they'll get a bonus. Mm -hmm. I think it's just plus one. Yeah. And then if you succeed on, is it four or higher? I think so, yeah. Yeah. If you succeed on a roll of four or higher, you do the thing. If you fail... You lose control of John. And now this is where another fun part comes in. Everyone starts with a certain number of tokens. You can use pennies, you can use coins, whatever. And you blind bid for control of John. So you bid to, to control him where you left off, pretty much. Right. So like everyone puts a certain number of those in the center in their hand, and then everyone will reveal at the same time how many they, they're betting. And you know the person who wins pays that, and I believe everyone else loses theirs too. But... You don't get any more of these. Right. Like you have a set like 20 to start out with. You have to try to complete your goals by only betting those 20. Mm-hmm. And then whoever wins that, they control John until they fail at something again. And just keeps going around and around and around until everyone's out of their things or John dies. Right. <laughs> that's, that's usually when things end. Although, I mean, given how ridiculous the game can get, I could absolutely see a scenario in which John ends up in the afterlife still being controlled by the players. I mean, I've had vampires in mine. I've had trains that disappear in puffs of logic because they were flying in the air on a magical train at one point. Very Douglas Adams. And the fun part here is I think it's fun for everyone, including the GM especially, because the GM can like almost role play the role of John. 
being like listening to his voices rather than being like just the GM. Yeah, that's very true. And I've done that in the past, and it's just like you know, like the, one of the voices tells me to go, you know, go steal this car, and John's like, okay, <laughs> like walks over and like tries to start stealing it, tears streaming down his face because he doesn't really want to do it, but he's trying because <laughs> he's told to do it, and so on and so forth. John is a very conflicted person. Yeah, well, with that many personalities, I'm sure you would be too. Yeah. But it's just hilarious. It is definitely one of my favorite kinds of like low components. Like I'm just sitting around with a group of friends, not having anything to do. Let's play this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And again, competitive RPG, very rare. That yeah, you find for that. Sure. You know, there there is a definitive winner. It's yeah. the person who achieves either achieves their goals first, or if no one achieves all of their goals, then whoever achieves their most goals. I believe yeah. it's each easy goal is worth one point, each medium goal is worth two, and each hard goal is worth three. Yeah, and then also the way that I've always played it is you get a point for every iteration of the that goal that you complete. Mm. So if you completed an easy goal ten times and someone completed a hard goal once, you still get more points. Interesting. So I, I mean, there are a lot of variations on the game itself, right. but I think that that's you know you can experiment with it, you can have fun with it. Usually, it takes about ten, fifteen minutes, maybe twenty. Go through it depending on how long they can keep John alive. Right. And yeah, it's it's just. It's hilarious fun. So yeah, storytelling games are definitely, they're more time intensive. They require a lot more buy-in from your, your people, but they can be a lot of fun. One game in particular, I'm sure everyone knew this was coming, that is really easy to play. All you need is a deck of cards and access to the PDFs is The Quiet Year. I mention it all the time, but it really is just a fantastic game to play if you've got a couple hours and you want to build a narrative together with whoever you're with. You know, I'm probably going to ask that my my family sit down and play a game, you know, and all we need is, is a deck of 52 cards. We need a sheet of paper to draw the map on, yep. and we need to be willing to participate in building this story. So the, the Quiet Year is sort of unique on this list in that, you know, you, you do have to pay for the, the PDF copy of the rules, but it's not... Since all you're getting is a PDF, it's really not that expensive. You can acquire it and you can play it again and again. You can take it anywhere as long as you've got, like I said, that deck of cards. And I think for me, it's one of the most immersive storytelling experiences yeah. that I've had. And maybe that's just because my D&D groups tend to focus on the numbers rather than the immersion. But something about the nature of the game and the types of choices that you're asked to make really lend themselves towards a truly immersive, impactful experience. I completely agree, and I think that that is definitely a great suggestion for something to sit down and just play with some of your friends over the break if you don't have, you know, if it didn't bring other things that you wanted to do. Yep. Well, there you go. It's Christmas Day, and if you find yourself without <laughs> board games and you turned to us, hopefully we gave you some good tips. Hopefully you can bring whether it's a storytelling experience, whether it's a goofy, fun guessing game, whatever you decide, hopefully you can bring some good board gamey style fun to your family, to your friend group, to whoever you happen to be with this holiday season. Thank you all for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. And also thank you for joining us for this year of Dragon's Demise. It's been a long one. It's been a long one. It's been a good one. We've had some really interesting changes, some additions. We're not just a podcast anymore. We're doing streaming now. That's right. We did some vlogs, and we're 
hopefully maybe going to try to continue doing that. <laughs> oh, yeah, those. <laughs> those things, you know. And in general, like, we've just, we've had a lot of fun. We've had a blast recording this for you guys and, and just interacting with some of you guys outside of uh, the podcast. And we hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did. We really do like making this content and talking about different board games and the things that we like and don't like about them. And we hope that you found it useful. Yeah. It's fun for us, but it's also, you know, really the reason we do it rather than just sitting on a couch and doing it is because we we hope that you get something out of it as well. We really hope that, you know, whether it's the reviews and positively impacting your decision to buy a game or whether it's, you know, you just like to hear us chatter. You know, we just we hope that you have enjoyed the podcast this year. And along those same lines, uh, we're going to do a bit of a look ahead for the next podcast. Uh, So it's going to be coming out on January 8th. We are taking a week off because we are in geographically the wrong places to record. Yeah, we're about half a country apart. Yeah, so during the holidays, we won't have time. So we'll be back on January 8th with a look ahead at what we plan to do in 2018.